We have been duped by feminism, sexual liberation, and antidepressants. We have been told that we are powerful and free now as women, but we feel tired, wired, and bitter. We're mostly eating right, exercising, and meditating, wrangling to-do lists, and arranging playdates, and yet there's a haunting hollowness beneath the huge complaints. What if I told you that there is a huge storehouse, a reservoir of energy inside of you that has not been tapped, that you could feel light and pulsing, excited and alive in ways that a wellness lifestyle cannot deliver, that you could trust yourself, that the world could feel safe and that unexpected and expected delights could start to illuminate your path. No coach, therapist, doctor, or guru required. Just you learning to get real, present, and attentive with you. I feel like I'm here to matchmake your inner parts for the greatest love affair ever written. I want to help you learn first where you're buying eggs from the hardware store, which is the source of all pain. I want to help you master entering through the upset, which is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need and to get real comfortable putting on your villain crown, which is, in my opinion, the key to true power. And then you'll attune to your inner yes so you can live the life defined by the specific pleasure of who you are. I am so excited to announce my latest book called The Reclaimed Woman, which is available for pre-order now. So if you head to the link in show notes, you can learn more about bonuses, events, and companion offerings. And I cannot wait to see your gorgeous face on the path. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan. You may know me as a New York Times bestselling author of a book with an exploding pill on the cover, renegade psychiatrist, pole dancer, or honorary member of the Disinformation Dozen. What can I say? I'm a born provocateur. I've spent most of my recent life exposing deceptions, connecting dots, and discovering the secret places my inner victim is still waiting to be liberated. And now I feel called to help you reclaim all of your parts, your health, your sexuality, your power, and your expression so that you can finally truly own yourself. I want to ignite in you that inner knowing and the pulsing vitality that lives beneath your disempowerment, disconnection, and resentment so that you can audaciously, courageously, and playfully alchemize your struggle into the specific pleasure of who you are. This is Reclamation Radio, a Soul Fire production. Welcome to Reclamation Radio. I am Kelly Brogan, and today I would love to talk about 10 spiritual lessons that I have learned from pole dancing, which is based on an essay I wrote by the same title. So let's get into it. Back in 2016, I attracted, manifested, co-created a large scale attack on my character and my platform. And it was actually triggered by a home birth article that I wrote, which if you know about how essential birth reclamation is to one's and one's family's empowerment, it makes sense that this would have been, you know, the match on the powder cake. 
So there were, you know, death threats. It was actually a lot of so-called feminist outfits that were upset with what I was insinuating a woman could do, any woman could do. And a lot of these are pharma subsidized and funded, whether they know it or not. And there was an entire campaign devoted to me calling me an ableist. And specifically, I remember a website called The Ugly Ableism of Kelly Brogan, MD. And I had never heard that word. And when I looked it up out of curiosity, I found it to be quite fitting as most judgments and criticisms are. You know, in my experience, I have been the subject of a lot of, let's call it constructive feedback from the public sector. And I can't remember, you know, if there have even been any instances where what has been claimed hasn't had a kernel of truth, especially if it you know, bothers me to any extent. And we'll get into that, you know, the, the mirror of judgment. So I found this to be rather fitting and it was a villain crown that I was happy to wear actually ableism, which implies that anybody can do anything that they believe that they can and that they have the deep desire to achieve. I imagine that I chose this belief and I chose to live into this belief, especially in my practice where I watched for 10 years, women walk out of the identity that they had participated in constructing of themselves as broken, sick, chronically ill and damaged and walk into the reclamation of their gifts, of their body, of their feminine energy, and, you know, to shed their relationship to medications and to diagnoses. I watched and I ultimately went on to publish many of these cases that are totally dogma defying, that should not exist, that conventional medicine has no explanation for. And of course, then I attracted a mentor, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, who helped to really crystallize this reality for me. You know, in his 27-year practice, he helped to facilitate it to put into remission all manner of incurable, quote unquote, illnesses from neurodegenerative conditions to stage four terminal cancers. And he delighted in the fact that these were seemingly anomalous and one after another, after another came out of his practice and ultimately went on to be published. So it can be done. It is possible, especially if you believe that it can be, and you have the mindset foundationally that supports that expansion of your reality, that supports the miracles that would otherwise not fit in the current paradigm that you're operating from. So I think that I adopted this belief system because it really feels good. And the victim consciousness that I have been committed to transforming for the past, I don't know, 15 or so years of my life really is predicated on statements and beliefs that begin with, I can't, and I have to. So when we say I can't, it can be true, right? If you're true, you, you can't. You can't make more money. You can't maintain the relationship. You can't possibly have a more fitting partner. You can be more sexy. You can be more sensual. You can't wear that, right? And the can'ts can serve to keep us constricted and restricted, contained in a familiar, small, safe reality. Because the subconscious relationship that we have to expansion and growth, especially into territories that would require some degree of identity diffusion and identity plasticity, 
you know, that's been tagged as a dangerous endeavor for good reason, you know, from our childhood experiences. So we ultimately end up being our own prison guards. And that is one of the major plot twists of the reclamation path is that victim consciousness can be transformed whenever it is that we defy our own small constructs. So what pole dancing represents to me is a huge, I can for myself on so many different levels. And I'd love to share them in a more uh, organized fashion because otherwise I'll just ramble forever. You know, beginning with what was the sort of trigger? What was the fulcrum? What was the point in my life that really laid down fertile soil for this growth and for this expansion? So when I chose to leave my second marriage in 2021, there were parts of me that literally were annihilated with grief and anguish and fear and devastation and the recovery process. Honestly, in many ways, it's ongoing. However, in the early months of that window of my life, there was an opportunity for alchemy. And that required that I begin to sense and observe and develop curiosity about other parts that were also emerging. And it was sort of like they were peeking out from behind the curtain, asking if the coast was clear now. And as you know, life would have it through many different synchronicities, I ended up taking what was ultimately my second pole dance class with my girlfriend, Ayla. And the first class that I took was several years prior, and it really just didn't stick. I was confused actually about why anybody would do this recreationally. I left with like, you know, bruises and burn sense, burning sensations on my skin. And I was literally unable to do any of the class. It was not fun. It was, you know, just not for me. So fast forward to this specific window of time where I decided to go, you know, to this class and something clicked, something was opened up in me. And by, I would say probably the 10th class, I installed a pole in my home. So these days I dance pretty much every day. And this is, I would say my primary spiritual practice, my primary method and means of embodied emotional alchemy and a consistent relationship with the, I can't inside of me from the physical to the psychological to the spiritual. So the first lesson is 50 shades of feminine, as I call it. So I, like so many of the women listening, I imagine have been often told, you know, accused of being too masculine, too much in my masculine. And perhaps I have an interject that agrees, right? And says, you're too masculine. You don't know how to be a woman. You are never going to have the experiences of womanhood that you long for because you're just too hard around the edges, right? And as I began to explore in the same window of time, I was very attracted to explore the different feminine archetypes, you know, the huntress, the queen, the lover, the sage, the maiden, the mother, the mystic. And I was reacquainted with the reality that the feminine is very prismatic, that there are so many different dimensions to the feminine and what we might malign pejoratively as masculine may actually be a dimension of the dark feminine that 
socioculturally, we are very threatened by, we are very uncomfortable with. You know, I did a whole masterclass on this called Crazy to Creatrix, where I explored, you know, what, what is this dimension of the feminine that, as David Data would say, slays anything less than love? You know, who is this? Who is she? Why are women and men alike terrified? You know, so as I explored, you know, these different prismatic dimensions of feminine energy, I found that in pole dance, there is such a a treasure trove of opportunity to embody those different energies. So on a given day, when I wake up, I will feel into what wants to play, what wants to express. And, you know, if I'm feeling, you know, like I want to get in touch with a more elegant structured expression, you know, I might just put on a simple you know, leotard kind of a thing and have bare legs and bare feet and work a lot of the energies of my ballet training into the, you know, spinning pole routine. If I want to feel a little sassier, you know, I might put on heels and so many people are like, why the heels? That's so patriarchal. And try it. That's what I have to say about that. (laughs) Try putting on eight inch platform heels or high, high boots and feel what that does to your body's movement. I mean, there's a reason in ballet, when I studied it as a teen tween, we use toe shoes, right? And so the way that you dance with those kinds of platform shoes and heels is completely different. You have different movement, there's different physics to it, and there's a different feeling to it. When I first put on those thigh high boots, I reclaimed a part of myself the exhilaration that I felt. And I am not somebody, if you listen to my introduction, who has really any relationship to heels or knows how to walk in them or anything. And there was something, some part of me that exhaled when I first began to play in these more provocative dimensions of dress and, you know, with garters and, you know, high cut booty shorts and all the rest. So There's also like flowy styles where you can really begin to feel long, smooth energies move through you. There's low flow. There's so many different styles and they have corresponding clothing and looks and corresponding music and corresponding skill sets that are required to really begin to explore these different areas. And There's so much range that it's extraordinary to begin to appreciate when I watch women dance. I could never have appreciated how much strength is required to render even the most simple movement, whether it's like a kick in high boots around the pole or whether it's a simple climb to render that graceful. That is the paradox of the woman, right? That strength, that fierceness coupled with that softness and that grace. And there's so much of it that runs through this, this practice. So number two is that I was invited to explore this belief that dark is bad, light is good, right? Also known as please hide your sexuality. So I, um, as many professionals have, I have a long history of secreting my sexuality, right? If you ever you know, so if you're watching this on YouTube right now, I am wearing full top that is a leopard <laughs> bra, essentially. And if you had ever, 
you know, seen me from the early days of my career in 2013 and 14, you know, I would have, but sometimes I was wearing my white coat, or I certainly would have been wearing like a, you know, professional color and a professional amount of coverage. And I never shared my body to any, any extent whatsoever. And I've been a dancer my whole life. I've never shared my body on the internet (laughs) and not that everybody has to, or should for me, the secreting of my sexual and sensual dimensions. And when I say sexual, I don't just mean the energy of my, you know, procreative drive, right? I'm talking in the vitalistic sense that this is my, the eros that courses through and animates my body. This is something that has been in me and moving through me since I was a child and has been for every single human, right? So that animating energy was something that I largely hid or manipulatively exposed subconsciously, right? So as I began to recognize this opportunity to share and really integrate more of myself, more of my personhood, right? So some people have like a private social media account that is personal to them. And some people have one that is for their business and their brand, and they live in this split For me, that split is a trauma field, right? For me to curate and continue to curate dimensions of me that are acceptable or would garner approval is what I have been doing my whole life. And I'm complete with that, right? So I'm complete with that because I'm ready to just be me, be the same me, you know, playing with the different energies I want to foreground wherever I go, whatever I do, that is the resolution of a great degree of self-betrayal that I have been engaged in the greater part for good reason of my adult life. So as I began to share dance videos that I was making that are, were probably, and are probably the greatest joy in my life, you know, to pick the outfit, to explore a little choreography that I either learned from, you know, a beloved teacher or made up on my own, pick the music to play with what I'm going to do with the video and how I'm going to create it and edit edit it into some little piece of art is an extraordinarily joyful experience for me. And as I chose to share these, I moved through the shame wall of doing the thing that I imagined would cost me everything, right? So whenever we move into the I can't territory and we do so willfully, of course, there is a part that is going to say, if you do this, you're going to die. I've been trying to tell you that your whole life, don't do this. Right. And so as I began to move into this realm, I received a lot of feedback ranging from you're a terrible dancer. You have an eating disorder. Please stop. You're putting in danger. All of those that you seek to help through, you know, your psychiatric work, there's something wrong with you. You're an MK ultra trauma slave and look at that satanic energy from your eyes. What happened to you? No wonder he left you. It's <laughs> interesting narrative. And, you know, that doesn't belong here. My children might see this. I mean, it just went on and on and on. And I made a practice of receiving these comments, which typically, you know, I've received criticism my entire career. I'm a polarizing individual. I just wake up and I be myself and I offend people. Right. So there was nothing new about that. And it's just never, ever bothered me. I mean, literally what people think about what I'm doing medically, what my thoughts are and feelings are as an intellectual, it does not phase me. And this started to get to me. (laughs) And because 
this was a much deeper practice of self-allegiance, self-love, and really self-exploration. So as I began to, you know, really try these on, try these statements on, I did find that there were some parts of me that agreed with some of these statements, like you're making a mistake, you're embarrassing yourself. There were other statements, you know, like you have an eating disorder that just don't even, it's like not even in my reality, it's not relevant. And that's fine. That projection is just so clear, right? So to try on the criticism and really come into intimacy with the part of me that agrees is a very deep practice, right? So as I went deeper and deeper into the provocative material that I felt inspired to share, I met more and more parts of myself that had formerly judged other women as well for being hypersexual, for being too attention-seeking, for being inappropriate, for parading their wounding around by, you know, dressing in the wrong way or acting in the wrong way. And of course, that's, again, if you listen to my introductory podcast, you'll see there's just so many ways that I've become exactly what I've judged. And this is a big one. And I also got to know the relationship that I have to attention, right? So David Data says that the feminine only knows itself fully when it's seen. And many of us as women are on a spectrum from please don't look at me. I must be invisible to be safe to there's no amount of attention that will ever be too much. I want more. (laughs) And you can have both too. You can toggle between them. You can find that you want and crave this attention. You long to feel decloaked, right? You want to experience those eyes on you judging or adoring. It almost doesn't really matter. And then once that happens, or once you have an experience of that gaze, it's too much, then you can't handle it, right? So the relationship to attention for many of us as women is a very rich terrain to explore and to, again, get to know the parts that are gatekeeping both of those ends, right? Okay, so number three, for the female gaze, not the male. So these days, I definitely spend more time watching women dance scantily clad around a pole than my blue blockers could ever protect me from. So there are a few things more fulfilling and inspirational to me. The feeling that I have in my body when I watch a woman dance and honestly at any level, although of course I enjoy and appreciate these you know, (laughs) masterful goddesses. I also appreciate and enjoy women who are at my level or just starting out because I delight in what I imagine and project onto their experience. I I know what it, it takes to connect with the courage to begin to explore this level of embodiment. And I also know how healing it can be to feel seen and appreciated by other women. I remember one of the first times that I went to a class and I recognized that I couldn't wear sweatpants (laughs) to this class, which is what I would normally wear to dance, largely because I have a lifelong storage of shame in my legs. And so I don't almost ever wear shorts. And so normally wear sweatpants to a dance class or even a tour class or whatever. And when I recognize I can't wear leggings and I can't run my same shame program there that I would elsewhere. And I began to wear, you know, high cut bikini bottoms 
And there were so many moments in class where I would feel so exposed and feel like the other women were being made uncomfortable by my exposure, which is interesting because that was a lot of what has been reflected on the socials. But when I would feel like not only accepted and approved of by these other women in the class, but then when I would, you know, get an inversion or do the thing and they would all, you know, cheer and clap and we would do that for each other. So immensely healing. So I know that this is primarily for the female gaze. I know that women are dancing and sharing this kind of dance for other women. I know that it lights them up. And I know that I have lit up other women because if I had a dollar for every woman who told me that she's gone to a pole class because of my shared journey, I might be enjoying other purchases in my life at this moment. So it's this chain of reconnection and this collective movement of reclamation around sensual embodiment and expression. And it's really an anything goes territory that I have found extraordinarily healing specifically of the sister woundology that I was carrying, which is I have to small myself because of you. I might alarm, offend you, or otherwise induce critical energy and judgment. If I expand too big, you know, if I'm too wealthy, too powerful, too beautiful, too sexy, too whatever. So I will make sure that I am digestible for you. And I have observed actually that as I study some of the early origins of the coupling of our sexuality with shame, that, and specifically through Alexander Lowen's work in his book, Fear of Life, that the women who are most upset, who don't know me, of course, so it's just a projection field publicly, with what it is that I'm sharing are likely experiencing their own arousal, literally. They're likely experiencing energies in their body that they don't feel safe feeling. And I know this because I have been this person (laughs) and they want me to stop because they don't want to encounter that. They don't want to deal with it. They don't know how to deal with it and they want it to go away. So they would rather live in a puritanical sterile field where they never have to feel their own aliveness, their own arousal as inspired. And this is, again, it's it's not libidinal in nature necessarily. It's not sexual attraction in the conventional sense. This is eros. This is the animation that comes into aliveness when we are reminded of it by another woman, another person. And it's a fascinating terrain if it's really looked at through that lens. Okay. So number four is growth comes through structure and discipline. So if you're familiar with my signature program, Vital Mind Reset, you know that I am a go big or go home kind of girl. I am a big believer in the masculine container that we set that for ourselves. I've been speaking about that in previous podcasts that it's essential for you to exercise your power of choice, to commit, to have integrity of word with yourself, to follow through. And if the container that you're setting is not realistic, set a different one. This relationship to the masculine as structuring, as space holding, as witnessing allows for all sorts of movement and growth and expansion to begin to swirl around the same as the riverbanks allow the water to move that would otherwise be stagnant. So as I have begun to explore pole, I mean, when I started, I 
had only ever really done aerobic dance. I didn't have a relationship to weights and conditioning and toning exercises at all. And I could not lift my body weight off the floor. I had never done a split, even though I was, you know, ballerina as a younger girl, I didn't have flexibility. That's largely why I've never liked yoga, even though I've tried to like it for so many decades. And I was coming into relationship with this sport, with this movement practice that would require me to level up. If I were to even taste some of the shapes that I could see all of these women moving their body into and So probably for the first time in my life, I developed intrinsic motivation to become stronger and more flexible. So it wasn't outside in. It wasn't, oh, this is good for me. This is a wellness thing. So I'm going to do it. It was this this hunger and knowing that the means to the end I was seeking were up to me to structure and create. And that intrinsic motivation is, it's unstoppable, right? So there was no need to interact with the parts of me that might otherwise get in the way or find this kind of growth and expansion problematic because all of my parts seemed aligned with learning, you know, learning what it is that I wanted to. So I began to train every single day. I've never done something like that. And I came into contact with a relationship between my feminine expression through this movement and my structuring masculine through the commitment of the training that was and is a very, very beautiful complementarity. So number five, (laughs) I wrote, if it's a journey, you suck until you're a master and then you suck again. So I have really only ever done, especially publicly, things that I'm good at, things that I have natural affinity for and natural, you know, sort of complementarity with natural gifts to express through. And When it comes to dance, it's a very important arena for me because I'm like just okay at it. (laughs) Like I'm never going to be a dance teacher and I'm not horrible. I'm not like really good, whatever that means, right? There's, there's sort of an objective range of very skilled when it comes to all forms of dance and you feel it when you watch it, right? So I'm in this interesting middle range and it's very healing for me to, to share something that I am like kind of just okay at. And that's why when initially, you know, some folks would say, well, you're, you're like a really bad dancer, please stop. (laughs) It's hard to watch. I was like, okay, I know. I mean, and I'm like, it's fun for me. So I'm going to just keep doing it. Okay. You don't have to look. So I have had the experience with pole because there's a ones and zeros to it. Either you can come into the masthead shape, you can invert, you can, you know, do this sort of grip, or you can't, and you can continue to work at it. You can visualize. I spent a lot of time visualizing myself moving around the pole. And then there is a moment where you go from, you're not able to you're able, (laughs) which means that you were able the whole time. And so it gets activated and that becomes very, almost addictive, probably like so many different performance related sports, because there is like this this little hit that you get when you, it's not a little hit, it's a big hit actually, when you can achieve the thing that you formerly couldn't achieve according to your own narration. And so the practice of pole ends up being this, this endless ladder you can climb because there's always more that you can learn athletically, acrobatically, bodily, right? And then there are also all of these ways that you can refine 
the basics to bring more grace to what it is that you're expressing and able to express physically and energetically. Okay. Number six, there are no accidents. So before I had an understanding of this long path that I would be walking in my relationship to this movement practice, I was very eager. (laughs) I was very, very eager. And I wanted to be able to do the thing. And because I have an immature masculine that says, you know, power through, force it, just do it, come on. And almost shames me into, you know, action before I could set that more mature container that said, you know, I'm going to commit on these levels and I'm going to delight in what I am able to witness myself creating. In the early days, I started to attempt an invert, which is essentially just, you know, flipping your body upside down. Although it requires to be done safely and to look pretty, it requires a lot, a good amount of strength, right? Core and upper body strength and some flexibility. And I ended up injuring myself pretty pretty significantly. I mean, it could have been worse, I suppose, on my right ribs. And I don't think I broke them, but I certainly bruised them pretty significantly. And it was excruciatingly painful to breathe, to move. I was benched for two months. And in that time, I re-injured because I tried to go back too early to dancing and movement and I re-injured and I heard the pop this time, not once, but twice. And I descended into a pretty dark place because I felt I, all sorts of beliefs came in, you know, like I'm going to lose all the progress that I've made. So this like gripping kind of attached immature masculine energy, and I'm losing time that I could be practicing, like as if there's some metric, external metric I'm adhering to, and I'm falling off course with it. Right. So it was all of this imaginary fear. And then I, I really didn't have a means of expressing myself or moving energies because dance has really been that for me so significantly. And I do not believe in accidents, definitely in the camp, more in the, some of the somatic experiencing world, or even the Louise Hay world that believes that there's a very personal significance to what we call accidents and that we become, you know, a match for these unfortunate events you know, some of the somatic experiencing world would say that there is, you know, there are stored energies in incomplete movements from traumatic experiences in our childhood, and that we actually attract accidents to those areas. The significance of my right ribs, given where I was in my own journey, that, you know, this masculine container (laughs) was now exposed, right? So my right-sided rib cage, like the literal cage as being punitively dysfunctional (laughs) struck me as poetic, right? Because I had had a relationship to my own sensual expression that was such um, that I attracted this kind of judgment from the outside in and in my significant relationships where there was, you know, this was not allowed, right? This was considered a violation, a desecration. This was considered shameful behavior. And so now that I am free, you know, to do whatever the hell I want, I somehow became my own prison guard again, right? My own punisher. So I created the conditions for me to not do this thing. Look at that. 
Isn't that interesting to me? That struck me as extraordinarily significant. And I know that a lot of dancers have accidents, right? They injured their wrist. I mean, there's so many injuries that can come through pole and, you know, you could take the mechanical universe view that says like, you know, you're (laughs) thrusting your weight around in all of these different shapes that are potentially perilous and you could fall on the ground. You could hit yourself. You could do all twist your things and whatever. You're not strong enough to be doing it yet. You need to practice more, practice better. And I choose to believe that there is meaning and significance and that it's one of the ways that this practice helps us to see, you know, what wants to be brought into the light of awareness. So number seven is that expansion is non-linear. So as I mentioned, you know, there's this endless ladder, which would imply that, you know, you, you get good at a thing and then you're ready to get good at the next harder thing. However, when you take this long view and you incorporate an understanding of injuries and accidents, and also I'll mention something really notable is that in the beginning, you know, you get, and I remember people commenting about this, you know, you, you burn your skin, your skin gets sort of like denuded. I mean, it's just, it's so painful. You get bruises everywhere. And over time that just all stops. And it's curious, right? Like what that adaptation is. Maybe it's just that you develop more strength. So you're holding yourself differently and you're not relying on all of these skin-based points of contact as much, but it's very interesting. And so anyway, it seems linear. However, there is an ebb and a flow, right? So while there have been times where I literally will practice and dance for four hours in a day, there have also been times where I pause, right? And, you know, days now where I I move in other ways. And it's this long, loving relationship that just spreads out before you, where you can begin to understand that it's not necessarily investment in a particular move, that I can work towards something that doesn't feel accessible to me because of flexibility and strength at a given moment, I can work at it for a little while, then I can let it go. And then I can come back to it a week or two or a month later, and somehow it's available to me. So it's this, it's this trusting relationship. It's that receptive feminine within the container of commitment to the practice that provides all of these unexpected delights. You know, it's a really fascinating trajectory. Okay. Number eight is a fear-ruled mind is a liar. Don't we all know it? So I will share a story of one of my teachers, Elizabeth, who is very, very skilled at observing the beginner, right? So I'm still a beginner and she can see, you know, even through the pixels of the computer, She can see, you know, what might be modified to allow more access to a given shape or movement. And there is a position, a posture or shape you can get into where you're essentially upside down, hands-free. And I got the upside down part finally. (laughs) And when she suggested that I let go with both of my hands, I said the famous phrase, I can't do that. You know, and sometimes it's not available at a given moment, but I, I was pretty sure that I, I couldn't do it. I said, you know, maybe, maybe at some point in the future, now that I know it can become available at any moment. And she just said, you know, I can see that you're, you're strong enough to do it. So no pressure, but I think you can do it. And I was really taken into the realm of that wise knowing 
female gaze, the same one that I know I offered my patients, pretty much the chief offering I provided in my private practice was, I know, I know you, I see you, (laughs) I know that you're in there. I know you can do it. And that's what, you know, midwives and doulas offer women in the birth setting. It's that knowing gaze of a wise, powerful woman that can see you better than you can see yourself. And it's the compliment to what a partner can offer you in polarity. And there's something so special about it because when she said that, I knew to trust her and I let go and she was right and I could do it. And it was so exhilarating to recognize that I could have told myself this story uh, again of I can't, which is also fine if I, you know, am in the space of protecting against, I guess, the one that would push too hard or power through or power over to say, no, not now is totally legit, right? It's, it's a healthy relationship to one's will. However, I was afraid. I was afraid. And that's why there's so much psychology in moving your body upside down that gets obviously triggered in our animal brains. And I was afraid of what? I don't know. I was only a few feet off the ground. I could have easily caught myself and she could sense that fear and help me to alchemize it into potential. And so now I I know that when I am afraid there's a way to tend to the fear rather than to default to, you know, the victim belief system that says, I can't. Okay. Number nine is your way is no one else's. So as I have explored many different dancers and I see their different styles and, you know, my, I'm going to get this I'm going to do it part that comes online studies at 0.25 X, these videos and tries to emulate them and copy them. After a certain point, I recognized here's the thing about pole dance or really any form of dance. It's just your animation expressing itself. It's not a craft. It's not ballet, right? It's not a craft that has a right precise execution that you either get or don't get. So as much as I could emulate these women. I am not these women. I am me. And so the the practice over time of getting to the point where you can turn on music and have enough little moves in your bag to begin to free flow. It sounds so easy, like, oh, just move and express yourself. The levels of inhibition that I had to move through to get to the point where I could for 30 seconds, continuously move around the pole. It probably took me nine months of dedication to get to that place of really translating it into free expression, right? So now I understand there's my way that I'm learning. I'm learning how to, how does Kelly express herself as she moves around the pole, right? How does her feminine flow around this masculine stasis, right? That's the polarity of energies that is embodied in this, this practice. And it's very liberating, right? To not have to be like somebody else and to know that I'm not for better or for worse. Okay. So number 10 is you are never too old. So how could it be that, okay, I always hear Christian Northrup in my head when I'm about to disclose my age (laughs) because she does not participate in that field. And I think for very good reason, but let's say in midlife as I am, How could it be that I find myself 
more flexible, more strong, and more athletically engaged than ever before, right? I thought that I was supposed to be sort of slipping slowly into the grave. (laughs) So it is never too old. I love when I see women who are clearly, you know, at a more crone phase of their life, engaging in sensual dance and specifically in in pole dance, because I know that it can be a lifelong relationship. I also know that we are in the midst of a zeitgeist right now and how you define, you know, feminine reclamation and walking that path of sovereignty is going to be very personal. And they're going to be some of us who are interested in reclaiming the gifts from the cave of that otherwise maligned dark feminine realm. For others, it's not the thing. But for a lot of us, it is the thing. And I think for good reason related to how we have come to understand our sexuality, our sexual energy, and what it is to integrate that into your whole personhood. So I would say, you know, the the number one spiritual teaching that has come through my experience at pole dance has been my commitment to no longer imagine that I know how another woman should live her life. And that includes girls and includes my daughters. I believe that the healing and restoration of the fabric of connectedness between women can only come when we recognize that it is not our job to course correct, to admonish, to criticize, to guide, to even advise other women unless they have asked for that feedback. And if we stop doing that, stop dead in our tracks, telling other women how to be, how to behave, what they should or should be doing, right? Which is largely what social media consists of. Then we are forced to focus on what it is that's coming up inside of us, thanks to another woman's personal expression. And if we feel judgment, it is because a part of us that we hate (laughs) is being represented in this other woman. And so how do we restore that connection? How do we come into loving attention and attunement with that part of us that we have disavowed and rejected and projected on another woman? That is how we become this mandala of so many different feminine energies, so many different expressions, this prismatic entity that is woman, (laughs) that is how we begin to organize ourselves in a way that will, I think, create the conditions for an experience of reality, for an experience of wholeness, for the collective that otherwise will never be available. It honestly doesn't even matter what the men of the world are doing (laughs) if we don't have this, if we don't have this commitment to each other. And so that is one of the the lessons that has come through that has really changed my life because as somebody obviously who judges and has not always recognized that I have choice, right? Because judgment plus choice is discernment. I now on so much the, the tender receiving end have come to understand, wow, you know, I can see what that comment from another woman is about. I can see what that judgment is about. And I know it's not about me, right? Like I know it's, it's not about me unless I make it about me. I choose to internalize it and 
make it important and relevant to my own life and work with it, right? Otherwise, if we commit to surrounding ourselves with women that we naturally want to celebrate, that we naturally support, then the women, you and the women around you are all helping each other rise. And I know that a lot of the women in the professional world can feel, I have a lot of colleagues who often share with me that they feel upset or concerned or threatened that other women are like biting their stuff or copying them or, you know, infringing upon their, you know, pedagogical territory. And for whatever reason, I have not had that particular wound. I don't, you know, copy me all you want, right? That makes my world a safer place. I don't have that particular sensitivity. And so when I have, you know, experienced women who are struggling with that, and then I interact with like my poll teacher, Wendy, for example, and friend, you know, and she is literally helping to support me in copying her. <laughs> like that's how, you know, abundant she is with her own gifts and her own skills and energy. It's a little taste of how it could be when we resolve this sister woundology and come into a new way of being with the feminine. So I hope this has been interesting. I encourage you to try a class if this is even a little bit tickling something inside of yourself. If it feels like a growth edge, it may be a path to self-reclamation that is just perfect for you the way it has been for me. All right, thanks for listening.